So uh, if you're in Luke chapter 15, we're going to start reading in just a moment, but I want to share with you a little bit about what we're doing in this new year in January. Uh, so what the Lord laid on my heart is a series called Remission. And remission is kind of a play on words because it, it hits uh, all these different areas of, a, uh, of, of definition, right? So if we look at the definition of the word remission, the first definition that you come to if you Google remission is the cancellation of a debt, a charge, or a penalty. Hallelujah. How many of you know that we serve a God who cancels debt? Amen. Uh, he may not have canceled your Discover card, but he has canceled the debt of your sin, right? And sometimes he, he will cancel the debt of your Discover card, and sometimes he'll let you fight through that yourself so you learn not to do it again. Uh, however, uh, sometimes he cancels uh, regular debt, but, but the most important debt that the Lord our God cancels is the cancellation of the debt that we owe because of our sin. Amen. That Jesus canceled that on the cross as we preached this morning or as we sang this morning. The second one is for remission is a recovery from disease. A recovery from disease. We're going to be hitting on these definitions throughout the month. So we're going to be hitting some different areas. The third part of remission is a forgiveness of sin. Amen. A forgiveness of sin. And then the play on words part for remission is this. Uh, remission, uh, let's take another look, or mission again. So what we're going to be talking about this morning is starting the first part of our mission here at Redemption Point. And the first part of, of our mission statement, if you don't know, is to uh, reach the lost, to restore the hurting, and to see people redeemed for their ultimate purpose in God. That's why when you look at some of our paperwork, or if you come in the main lobby right uh, above the back doors in the back, you'll see Reach, Restore, Redeem. Uh, it, usually you'll see that on Facebook. I'll usually hashtag Reach, Restore, Redeem on anything I post on social media and online because I want to keep our mission out ahead of us and our mission in front of us. How many of you know if we don't have a mission, we're just a country club? Right, uh, we're just uh, we're just a club of people who happen to think the same way and believe the same way. If we don't have a mission, but as a mission, we are the church of God. Right, as a mission, we are we are His people. We we've come into this kingdom. Uh, to, we've been born or reborn into His kingdom so that we can complete a mission that He gave us. And how many of you know each and every person in this place, upstairs and downstairs, is a part of that mission. Right? If you're a regular attender or you're a member here at the church, you're a part of that mission. Uh, which reminds me, Pastor Eddie hit on this, but I just want to bring it up uh, one more time because some of you may have came in after announcements. Is that next week we're hosting Dan and Paula Lumadu, who are our missionaries for our, for our district, uh, to Japan. So they're, they're an incredible couple. Uh, I've met Dan, and I'm trusting by meeting Dan that Paula is also incredible. I have not met Paula yet. Uh, but they are a, an awesome couple who have given up everything to travel and leave, and they're going to be leaving in the next month or so uh, to head to Japan to live and, and do mission work in Japan. So we're hosting them next week. He's going to be preaching. I'm excited about uh, him sharing what the Lord has laid on his heart for Japan. So that's going to be coming up next week. And how many of you know that? That's a part of our mission series. That's a part of our remission series is, is him coming in and speaking because missions is a big part of what we support. And then January 20th, 
during the service, uh, we're going to be installing two new elders uh, in the church. So we have a, a couple of elders that we're going to honor who have served for a long time on the board and have earned uh, some well-deserved rest. And we're going to be giving them uh, a period and a season of rest from the board only. They'll still be serving in the capacities that they serve in the church. Uh, but we're going to give them a restful season from the board. And we have two new elders who are going to be uh, coming on uh, the board for the new year to serve a four-year term here at Redemption Point. And those elders are uh, Mr. Dave Ambrose. If you could stand for me, Dave. And Mr. John Terry, if you could stand. So both of these guys will be will be uh, coming on the board, and and how the board how do we how do we get our elders? Well, our our current board votes, and those votes are tallied, and those two new elders were voted in uh, from our current board. So they are they are coming on, and we're excited about that. So on the twentieth, we're going to be installing them in service uh, right after worship and before the word is preached. And then right after service on the 20th, we're going to be having a business meeting. And, and why did you want to throw this up? Because we're talking about our mission, right? And I want you to know the state of the church that you call home, right? The church that you, uh, that you come to minister at, the church that you come to be a part of, uh, the church that you come and, and love and the people that you love. I want you to know the state of our church. And, and I'll just give you a hint. The state of our church is healthy. The state of our church is good. And God has brought us through uh, 2020 in an incredible manner. And I, I was talking to one of our other elders this morning. I said, you know, I, I just can't stop being thankful enough uh, for what God has done in this church in 2020. And I, but this is the thing. He didn't bring us through 2020 unscathed and financially stable to sit on our hands, right? He brought us through 2020 unscathed and financially stable to get back to work. Uh, so 2021 is going to be a season of mission, which is why uh, we're preaching this, to take another look at our mission. So our mission statement, again, is to reach the lost, to restore the hurting, and to see people redeemed for their ultimate purpose in Christ. So that's our, that's our mission, and that's where we're headed. If you're in Luke chapter 15, and I think I gave you plenty of time, say amen. If you still need more time, you're going to have to read on the screen, okay? Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Let's pray over our message today. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to deliver this word today, Lord. And as always, I can't do this alone. I can't do this without you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take over and that uh, you would prepare our hearts and minds to receive uh, the portions and parts of this message that are important to what you have for us. I pray, Father, that we would uh, not be like the man who looked in the mirror, as Scripture says, and walked away and immediately forgot what he looked like, but we would be people who study the Scripture, learn the Scripture, hear the Word, and walk away and apply it to our lives. 
And, Father, we, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So as we talk about reaching the lost, which is part one uh, of our series, I think about it as I was writing this message. Have, have any of you ever misplaced a child? Like, yeah, a couple of us were, were kind of like halfway holding our hands up, right? It's a, yeah, we've misplaced a child. It, it's happened, you know, a time or two in Jessica and I's uh, life of parenting. And, uh, and most of the time it was the child's fault and not our fault, you know. So I, I will place the blame there. But, but I remember one time in particular as I was writing this message, I started thinking about a time when we misplaced Kennedy. Kennedy was, was gone. Uh, we were, uh, thank God it wasn't in a crowded place, it wasn't at SeaWorld or Disney or anywhere like that, um, it was actually at my sister's house out in the country in Inverness. Now how in the world do you misplace a child at your sister's house, not in a crowd, out in the country in Inverness? How does that even happen? Like I don't even know, right? But we were sitting around talking and visiting with my sister and, and we, had, we had three kids and how many of you know three kids are a lot to keep track of? Amen. So sometimes you lose one and that happens and you got to find them, right? But, but we had three kids and one, Colin, was, was just a newborn baby. So he was easy to keep track of. He just kind of laid in the, in the little rocky thing and he was good, you know. And, and then uh, Dylan was a little bit older. So she was in the room playing with my, my niece and they were just hanging out. And then you had Kennedy. And I'm pretty sure Kennedy was about three. Uh, she was about three years old. So she was about a, a little uh, under a year and a half uh, uh, younger than Dylan, and they were in the room playing and playing with dolls and just hanging out, and we were in the living room. Now, here's the thing. In order for her to get out of that room and out of the house, she would have had to walk past us in the living room. So apparently she walked past us in the living room, and we never saw her, right? So we're hanging out talking laughing with my sister and her family, and then out comes uh, Kennedy, apparently, who walked through there and left the house, y'all. Left the house, at three years old, and we didn't notice. We didn't know, right? And uh, so I got up at one point, as dads often do, and walked in the room to check on the kids, like, hey, what's going on? What are you guys doing? It's a little quiet in here, you know, that, that sort of thing. How many of you dads, you know, do that on a regular basis? If it's a little too quiet, you get nervous, right? So it was a little too quiet, so I, I walked into the room, and I looked, and, and there was my, my niece, Tanisha, and there was my daughter, Dylan, but nowhere was Kennedy. So I, I look around the corner, and my nephew KJ was in the next room over, and I, I, I stuck my head in, and I said, KJ, have you, have, you seen, have you seen Kennedy? And he goes, no, Uncle Steve, no. And I turned back around, I stepped my, my, my face back in where Dylan and Tanisha were, and I said, hey, guys, have you seen Kennedy? Have you seen Kennedy? And they're like, no. I'm like, how have y'all not seen Kennedy? She was in here with y'all. <laughs> like, like, how have you not seen her? And she's like, no. So then I, I come into the living room, and I say, Kennedy's not in there. And immediately, my sister, my wife, and myself jump up, right, and begin to search the house. We're, we're looking everywhere. We're looking under beds. We're looking in bathrooms. We're looking in kitchen cabinets. We're looking all through the house. She's not in the house, y'all. Like, she's gone. So I walk outside, and, and listen, if y'all, some of y'all know Kennedy, and you follow her on social media, and you know she's like an animal uh, guru, like she loves animals, right? So, so we, we walk out the door, and I look to the right, and there's a cow pasture full of horses and cows. And I'm like, if I know Kennedy, and she stepped out this door, that's where she's headed, 
right? So I, so I went over, I jumped this barbed wire fence, and I went running that way. My sister came out and out of the, out, off the steps of the house and hit the road and went running that way. So she's searching the road. I'm searching there. Jessica's kind of hanging out in the front yard, pacing, holding Colin, you know, and, and, and praying. And, and, and man, I, I'm running through the field looking for my little girl. Now, how many of you know when you're looking for somebody who's lost, lots of things start coming through your mind, right? So I start thinking, did she get kidnapped? Uh, is she gone forever? Will I see my little girl again? And I start praying hard, man. I'm, I'm praying, Lord, help help us to find her. Help us to find her. And I'm looking through, and I'm, the, I can see this entire pasture, and I, I can tell that she's not in the pasture, right? She's not there. So I turn back around. I jump the fence, and I head down the road where my sister was. And as I turn the corner, right when my heart is is, is beating, this, like, Boom, like it's about to beat out of my chest. I turn the corner and look, and there's my sister, Carrie and Kennedy, uh, about three blocks away, coming up the road. And I'm like, first thing I thought was, how in the world did she get that far away? And us not know. Uh, but how many of you know little kids are slippery, right? So I'm like, she comes running up, and, and you know, the first thought is, man, I need to discipline her for leaving the house. But how many of you know I couldn't even discipline her in that moment? All that I could do was wrap my arms around her, put her in my chest, and cried. Like that was all I could do. Because, because everything that the enemy was attacking me with in that moment and every, all the things that my own thoughts were going in that moment weren't true. I got my little girl back, and I was grabbing a hold of her, and I was crying, right? So I'm, I'm holding on to her, and I, I look at my sister. I'm like, where did you find her? And she's like, well, there's this mobile home about, about three blocks that way. And under the porch, the skirting had fallen off. And she was underneath this mobile home, under the porch, hanging out where there was typically a pit bull. But the pit bull wasn't under there that day. The pit bull was inside. So thank God for, for God's, God's grace and God's coverage, right? So, so she was just playing in the dirt. She knew where to find this dog because apparently she saw it driving through, and she went and found this dog. Uh, she has three large dogs today and about to have a baby, and uh, that's just her. She loves dogs. She loves animals, and she went to find one even when she was three years old, right? So, so this getting lost kind of rang a bell in my mind in Kennedy and in Jessica and I's life when we lost Kennedy that time and had to go search for her, that this is the, this is the, the basis for the story that Jesus tells in this parable when he talks about going to find the lost sheep. He talks about it, and if you could imagine what you would feel uh, losing one of your kids and having to search for them and find them, or they took a wrong aisle in the grocery store and you ended up two aisles over because you were thinking about a hundred things and you turn around and notice your kid's gone and you got to go frantically search the store. In that moment, if you could imagine how you felt trying to go after your child, that's the same emotion that Jesus is building in this story when he's telling uh, these people about the lost sheep and how a shepherd will leave everything to go find the lost sheep. How a shepherd will, will leave behind everything and go search for the lost sheep until the lost sheep is found, right? Now, Jesus always or, or regularly spoke in the, and used parables, right? So he used parables for a couple of different reasons. The first one is this, so that we could relate to the spiritual lesson, right? He used a parable so that you and I could relate to the spiritual lesson. Then he used a parable so that we can see ourselves in the story. Right? So the first part is so that we can relate to the spiritual lesson in the story. The second part is so that we could find ourselves somewhere in the story. 
right? And I think Jesus uh, intended when he spoke in parables for the people in the crowd to find themselves somewhere in the story. Where in the story does it fit so that the spiritual lesson is pertinent to my life? Right, So that's how the parable does. Now listen, there's a few things. There's three things that we need to know when we see ourselves in the story. Number one is this. We're not Jesus ever in the story. Okay, I just want to make that clear. Uh, You may be really good, but you're not that good. Right, we're we're not Jesus ever in the story. Now, sometimes I know in a world uh, as such as this, full of social media and everything, we we have a tendency sometimes to be a little narcissistic. Right, narcissism has kind of raged in our society because of social media and everything, and uh, we think that everybody wants to see our selfies all the time. Right, you want to see what food I ate every meal. Right, we we think that uh, on social media we can become narcissistic. Uh, When we read the Bible, we never need to be narcissistic right you need to push that down right never ever are you Jesus when he's telling a parable so you may say well pastor I'm you know I'm pretty good <laughs> you know I've been serving God for a long time you know like like I'm I'm, I'm okay like like what do you mean I, I could probably tell that parable and get some people saved and no you're, you're not Jesus ever right so you need to find somebody else in the parable that represents who you are Uh, The second thing is this, we always have to recognize the crowd Jesus was speaking to within the context of the story. How many of you know that context is important when you read your word? When you read your Bible, context is so important. You need to know who he was talking to, why he was talking to them the way that he was talking to them, and what was happening in the history and in the time. When you you think reading the Bible is boring, it's because you're doing it wrong, right? If you're reading the Bible and you're like, this is boring, you're doing it wrong. You need to learn to study the context of what's happening. And if you understand the context of who people are, you understand that when Jesus was telling this story, he wasn't being nice to the Pharisees. Right? The Pharisees were sitting there listening to him, and Jesus was prodding them uh, by telling them this story. Right. So once you start to understand the context, the Bible comes alive. When you read the Word of God on a morning, a a daily basis, whenever you read the Word, it comes alive when you start understanding the context of what's going on. And you say, well, I can't uh, read the Bible, but you can watch, you know, 16 hours of Avengers, right, or or whatever, you know. Uh, If you can sit down and watch all the Marvel, uh, but you can't sit and read the Bible for 15 minutes a day, right, it's because you don't have the context that will keep you interested to continue to move on in reading the Scripture, So once you figure out the context and you place yourself uh, in the parables that Jesus is talking and you find it and it hits you in the heart and you realize, oh no, there's something in my life that needs to change. And then you make a change and then your life gets exponentially better because God is speaking to you through the scriptures and through your prayer time. Uh, You will want to dig into the word of God. Amen. You'll want to. My my wife uh, has has been studying Ezekiel. Right for the was Ezekiel for the last uh, couple of months. She she asked me. She goes, "Would you would you get me a couple of Bible studies on Ezekiel?" So I, I researched a little bit, found ordered them, and came then. And she had been studying Ezekiel for about a week. And she came to me, and she was she goes, um, "Honey, Ezekiel is ruining my Bible story time." 
She's like, I can't get into it. I don't understand it. It's driving me nuts. Like, I'm trying my best to, to spend time with the Lord in this. But honestly, every day I get up just frustrated, right? And then uh, I think it was uh, uh, Prophet Tim Hines was here, and he spoke, and he was preaching out of Ezekiel. And when he preached out of Ezekiel, there was a light bulb that popped on in my wife's mind for the context of the scripture that he was talking about. And ever since then, she went back to her Bible story with, with new lights, right? Her Bible time with the Lord with, with a new understanding. So when you have a fresh new understanding, reading the word is fun. Reading the word is profitable for your life. Amen. So, so two, we have to recognize the crowd Jesus was speaking to, understand the context. Three, we should always place ourselves in the shoes of the crowd Jesus was speaking to. Uh, you will be found somewhere in that crowd. So if you need to find yourself in the parable, you need to be, uh, you could be found somewhere in that crowd and then possibly somewhere in the parable. Right, So we've got to find where we fit. So he's speaking to a crowd that includes commoners. Right? It includes common people. It includes blue-collar workers. Right? People that are just getting it done, just supporting their family, out working, uh, working their fingers to the bone day to day. Uh, there's some political activists probably in this crowd, people who are uh, watching Jesus and trying to figure out if he's the Messiah. And if he's the Messiah, is he really going to kick Rome out and take control of Israel and be the king? Uh, so there's some political activists who are watching and listening to his stories with that thought in mind, and they're trying to figure it out. So there's, there's some espionage happening on the outskirts of Jesus telling this parable. you got some people that are doing that. And then there's some religious people. They're called Pharisees, and there's some Pharisees that are looking to catch Jesus. Because they've heard that Jesus is the Messiah. They've heard that he is the Lord. And they've heard that he is the one that Israel has been coming for. But they don't like it. Right? They don't like it. Why don't they like it? Because the religious leaders watched as sinners and tax collectors and people of bad reputation drew near to Jesus. What does the Bible say about when we draw near to the Lord? He draws near to us. Right? So you had people of bad reputation, people who, who had been known for doing some bad things. You had some prostitutes, and you had some, some tax collectors, and you had some thieves, and you had some other people that were kind of moving into the corner and trying to figure out who Jesus was because it was making them think about their life. How many of you know that when you drew near to God, it made you think about your life and the life that you had lived up until that point? It made you start to start to figure out what do I need to change about me so that I can become more like him, right? So the, these are the people that are in the crowd that are listening as Jesus tells this. So you got people wanting to test Jesus and you got people wanting to catch Jesus. But they didn't want to catch him for good. They wanted to catch him for wrong, right? Because if they caught him saying something wrong, then they could have him killed and they'd be done with him. Right? So they had all these religious people looking to catch Jesus, but then you had the blue-collar people and the commoners and the shepherds and the people like that who were just looking to be loved by Jesus. They didn't know what it was like to be loved because the Pharisees sure wasn't loving them. The Pharisees were talking down to them, beating them down, treating them poorly. And then here comes this Jesus who, who called himself, who is a good teacher, right? Walks on the land and they, they view him as, as this rabbi, this teacher who suddenly created this following. And when we come into contact with him, unlike the rabbis who are in the, the full-blown uh, costume with, with all the stuff and the hats and all the frills, and they looked especially holy, Right? They looked especially holy. They looked like they should be standing in the temple on display, not walking around.
And when they came into contact with these people, they found that these people uh, treated them poorly, talked down to them, didn't give them any time, right? Uh, were not loving and kind. But then all of a sudden, a rabbi who has this following, who, who walks around in normal clothes, this, this is what I believe, right? I got no biblical belief whatsoever. But I believe if Jesus was walking the earth today, man, he would be in probably some boots, some jeans, and a t-shirt. That's what I believe, right? That's why I don't wear suits. No, that, I don't wear, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I don't wear suits because I don't like suits. But, but, but I do believe Jesus would be hanging out with the same types of people today. Right, trying to woo them and bring them into the kingdom and showing them the love that they need to transform their lives. Right, and that's what we're supposed to be doing today as Christ followers. We're supposed to grab a hold of people that other people probably wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. Right, we just came out of the Grinch series, wouldn't touch them with a 39 and a half foot pole. Right, and, and people are viewing people like that, like just stay away from me, don't come close. But as Christians, we're called to man, love on them. Let's grab, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the reason why I'm cleaned up. Let me tell you about the reason why uh, I'm not a, a sinner, an adulterer, a cheat. Uh, let me tell you the reasons why I'm not a thief. Let me tell you the reasons why I'm not out doing things that are destructive for my life and family. Because one day I came into Jesus' arms. Because one day Jesus met me where I was and I was broken and I was hurting. And I didn't know how to turn it around on my own. And I didn't have the ability to turn it around on my own. I couldn't do it. I had tried. And, and when you try to do things on your own, uh, you may get somewhere a little bit. And you may make a little bit of leeway. But then all of a sudden you, you start to slip back because we don't have the strength and the power to turn around our life without the power and the strength of Jesus Christ. Amen. That when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we get the Holy Spirit who lives within us and begins to talk to us and teach us and train us and help us to understand the gospel and help us to understand the word and help us to love other people. Help us to start portraying the fruits of the Spirit in our life, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Helps us begin to display those things in our life and then we recognize and realize that my life was nothing apart from Christ. Amen. So, so we're supposed to be doing this and, and moving uh, in the way that Jesus moved. So we see him in this area. And, the, and then suddenly he tells this parable. Right? So you know you got the political activists and you know you got the Pharisees. And although Jesus was loving and kind, he wasn't always nice. And especially wasn't always nice to the Pharisees because he needed to offend them in order to bring out of them, them for themselves to see what's wrong with them. Sometimes your, your personal offense is to work on something inside of you, right? Sometimes when we're offended, it's the Holy Spirit giving us an opportunity to change something in us, right? I, I, woo. If, we, if we dig back... Right before this parable, starting in verse 6, Jesus warns of offenses. So Jesus is teaching. He's teaching to the Pharisees. He starts warning of offenses, saying that they shall come. And woe to those who they come, right, who they come by. He starts teaching on offenses. And then he starts, he just switches gears and moves into the parable of the lost sheep. 
right? All of a sudden, he switches gears and starts talking about the parable of the lost sheep. You know why? Because the parable of the lost sheep was designed to create an offense in the Pharisees. So the Pharisees could be offended by what he's saying. Well, then you say, well, Pastor Steve, what in the world could the Pharisees have been offended about? When Jesus spoke, he compared the kingdom of God to things that were happening in, in society, in modern society at the time. right? So he talked about things and how people saw them on a daily basis. Shepherds were considered lowly and outcasts of society. Right, so shepherds were the, were the lowest of the low. They were the outcasts of society. Pharisees barely gave them their time, right, other than to chastise them. Right? They, they, uh, the shepherd, shepherds were just considered the leftovers, the people that nobody really wanted to spend time with, nobody wanted to hang out with. They just needed to stay out there. They smelled a little funky. They smelled like sheep. You know, their sandals were full of brown stuff from walking around the fields with the sheep. Right, they just people wanted to just leave them out there. They didn't get the same kind of respect that say farmers would get in our society today. Right, farmers within our society today, in most places in America, people understand and appreciate what they do, and they represent. Man, I can't have food on my table unless there's a farmer somewhere in the Midwest making it happen. Right, so I mean, I mean, people understand that today, and they give them that respect. But in this time, they didn't respect shepherds. So Jesus speaks about offense, gives the religious people an opportunity to get offended by saying this, imagine you were a shepherd. And immediately, immediately, I could see the offense rising up on the Pharisees in my, in my mind. I could immediately see them cross their arms, huff. What do you mean if I was a shepherd? Right? He starts, starts this whole parable, imagine if you were a shepherd. Right? And, and they're like, no way, I am in no way, shape, or form a shepherd. Right? They, they begin to get offended. So we have four perspectives that I want to talk about in this parable today. There's four perspectives that are important to understanding the parable. The first one is the perspective of the lost sheep. The second one is the perspective of the 99 found sheep. Because you not only have the sheep that was lost in this parable, you also have the 99 found sheep that are hanging out together. Right? Kind of like us in this room today, right? The 99 found sheep who are, who are collectively hanging out together. Then you have the perspective of the friends and neighbors. Who were the friends and neighbors when the shepherd came back with the lost sheep that everybody celebrated? Right? They came and celebrated and partied with them and they were so excited that they found the lost sheep. And then you have the perspective of the shepherd. So if we can talk about the shepherd for just a moment, I want to share uh, about the shepherd during this times by talking about the sheep pen, right? Now, obviously, in this story, all the sheep are out grazing in the pasture, and that's kind of the, the basis of this story. But the sheep weren't always at pasture. Sometimes they were in pens. And when the, she when the sheep were in pens, uh, the pens at this time probably weren't made of wood, but they had a lot of stone in Israel, and these pens were probably made of stone. Uh, a lot of what I saw when I researched it was circular. Some were rectangular or square, but most were circular and, and brought up to a certain height and made out of stone. And they only had one small opening large enough for one sheep to enter or exit at a time. So you had one small opening in this pen. And the shepherd, when the sheep were in the pen, slept in the opening to guard the sheep from wolves coming in and to guard the sheep from lost sheep wandering out. 
So the shepherd would sleep in this small opening. So you have to understand that and think about this in the context of the story to understand the heart of the shepherd. And obviously when we're talking about the shepherd, we're talking about the great shepherd who is Jesus Christ. right? And you understand his heart. Now let's look at some qualities of a sheep. Why do we need to know the qualities of a sheep? Because you and I are one. right? We are sheep. right? So let's look at some qualities of the sheep. Number one. Sheep have poor eyesight. Sheep can't see very clearly. Some of y'all are like, yep, I'm wearing glasses now. <laughs> a, a few weeks ago, I, uh, I woke up in the morning and started reading uh, my devotion, and, and all of the words were really fuzzy. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I didn't even recognize it. Like, I started rubbing my eyes. And I'm like, I'm like, I got to get this sleep out of my eyes. Like, I can't even read right now. Like, like, this is crazy. And then I noticed when I moved it further from my face that the words got clear. And I thought, oh, no, this isn't sleep. <laughs> and, and my lovely wife came in and said, yep, it's about time. You need glasses. <laughs> and she went and got me her readers, y'all, her pink and purple readers, and, and put them on me. And, and I started, and everything came into clarity and focus. <laughs> I was so embarrassed, y'all. I lived 44 years of my life and never needed anything to help me read until now. But it's not every day, I will say that. Some days I'm fine, some days I need them. But I, I went to Walmart that day because I was not going to continue to wear those pink and purple readers at my wife's. And I was looking through the rack, trying on different sizes and different types uh, when Lisa Borg, where are you at, Lisa? <laughs> right up there. Lisa Borg turns the corner, her and Addie turn the corner, and they're walking towards me. And I don't know if you noticed, but my face got bright red. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm just looking at readers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's something about being a grandpa, guys. I, I think that, that might have something to do with it. Because uh, the first grandson came along, my eyesight was good. I have a granddaughter that's going to be here in four months, and my eyesight goes. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it's age, you're right. So, so the sheep, if we look at the qualities of a sheep, they have poor eyesight. Number two, they're flocking animals. They flock. They stay, stay in a crowd. Number three, they are very social. They're social with the other sheep in the crowd. They don't just stand in the crowd and not communicate with each other, but they're social. They rub on each other. They touch each other. They butt heads, right? They're, they're social, and they hang out with the crowd. And here's the, here's the ticker that goes with the sheep story that Jesus told is when they wander away, it's usually a sign of sickness. So when a sheep, a sheep are so social and such flocking animals that when they wander off, something is wrong when they sheep don't just generally wander off unless something is wrong now if you think about that and you compare that to the kingdom of God or, or let's say let's take it down another level and compare it to just the local church or if we talk about the local church if somebody who is a part of the church for a long time and they're social and they come to the events and they come to the other events and they come to service and they participate and they serve. And then all of a sudden they wander off and they go get by themselves. It's a sign that something is wrong. It's a sign of illness, right? And it may not be illness in their physical body, but it sure is an illness in their spiritual body. 
right? There's, a, there's an illness within them. So if a sheep wanders off, Jesus is telling the story about a lost sheep who wandered off. And if you know about sheep, you recognize and understand that there was something wrong with that sheep. That adds a whole nother level of pressure when you need to find that sheep, right? That adds a whole nother level of, of pressure. So if a shingle, single sheep wanders away from the flock, there's usually something going on inside of them which makes them vulnerable to the enemy. It makes them vulnerable to the enemy. So here's the first perspective I want to hit on today, and I want to I go a little backwards in this, but the perspective of the shepherd is this. You have the perspective of the shepherd in the story is that the sheep are in danger. The sheep who wandered away, the lost sheep, is in danger. That's the perspective of the shepherd. So he's believing and understanding that because that sheep is away from the group, and because that sheep wandered off, he knows something's wrong with that sheep, that it's vulnerable to the enemy. And can I tell you today, when somebody wanders away from church and wanders away from God and wanders away uh, from what they know in their spiritual life, they are vulnerable to the enemy. The enemy can come in and begin to place offense. The enemy can come in and begin to place bitterness. The enemy can come in and begin to place doubt. The enemy can come in and begin to place all these things which were not even there. But people will start believing it and thinking about it because they have gotten separated from the flock. If they're separated from the flock, there's something vulnerable because there's something wrong on the inside of them. And then here's the other thing. When they, when they separated from the flock, without the great shepherd in your life, your eyesight isn't good enough to see the coming danger. If the shepherd's in your life, he knows the danger is coming and he can point it out before the danger ever gets there. And he can prepare you for it and he can keep you from it. Right? And the Holy Spirit will talk to you and say, listen, this is coming your way in your life and this is something that you need to deal with. Or, or you could meet somebody and the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh-uh, nope. And you're like, oh Lord, I'm just trying to minister. Nope. You let somebody else minister to them. This is a danger in your life, and you need to turn around and walk away. Oh, but Lord, I, I really enjoy their company. I bet you do. But this is a danger in your life, and you need to walk away from them right now. Oh, but Lord, they, they, don't, they are harmless. This is a danger in your life. You need to turn around. You need to walk away right now. Right? Has anybody ever had the Holy Spirit just get, like, solid with you? Like, he, he gives you a couple nudges, you know, like, hey, man, you know, no, you know, don't, don't do that. Hey, man, no, no, you know, don't, don't do that. Just, you know, hey, let's, let's go do this. You know, the Holy Spirit's real, really a gentleman, right? But then sometimes when you, when you refuse him and you don't listen to him and you don't return his text and you leave him on red all the time. And then he says, listen to me now. I'm trying to help you. Turn around, cut off that relationship, and get out now. And at that point, you have a decision to make. Do I listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who so powerfully told me I need to move right now? Or do I continue chasing what feels good? Right? And typically, if you continue to chase what feels good, then your life begins to go downhill. And the first thing that suffers is your spiritual walk. Your spiritual walk suffers first, and then everything else kind of comes in, right? So, so if we look at this, that's the perspective of the shepherd, but let's talk about the perspective of the sheep. 
right? And this is the lost sheep. The perspective of the lost sheep, and Jesus didn't say this, and, but I'm just utilizing this uh, for today's basis in, in, in our lesson and what we're talking about. The perspective of the lost sheep may be that they're having the time of their life. The perspective of the lost sheep is, woo, I haven't cut loose and let loose in a long time, right? Woo, I, man, I am just having a blast. No pressure. Miss Jessica isn't texting me about greeting this Sunday. Nobody's asked me to work the nursery in two and a half months. <laughs> but the, the lost sheep, man, you know, we're, we're just drinking. We're just having some fun. You know, the lost sheep just begins to, to, to go out and, and embrace a new life apart from the 99 sheep, apart from the great shepherd, and can begin to go the wrong direction, right? So they've, they've gotten away from the crowd. And they think, in their perspective, that they are finally thinking about themselves. Do you, do you know, listen, I know I use a lot of marriage stuff because Jess and I have done a lot of marriage stuff. And we've met with a lot of married couples. But do you know how many times in the face of adultery and an affair in somebody's marriage that they have said to me or said to Jess, well, the Lord wants me to be happy. Because they've moved away from the great shepherd so much and moved away from the collective group of the 99 sheep so much that they have nobody speaking the right things into their life. And then they get it twisted and the enemy steps in and goes, hey, you know, you deserve this. You, do you see how she treated you? You deserve this. Right? But the whole time that you're making those steps, the Holy Spirit's going, hey, um, no. You know, let's, let's go this way. Hey, you know, no, you know, that's a bad turn right there. That's going to, that's gonna, listen, there's a tree that's going to fall up ahead. And it's going to land square on your car, and you're going to be pinned. And you're thinking you've got all this freedom, but then all of a sudden you're going to be stuck spiritually. Right, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and you're going, but I think I want to try it. God, God would want me happy, right? It, it's a certain lies of the enemy that come in, and you say, well, Pastor Steve, are you telling me today that God doesn't want you to be happy? No, that's not what I'm saying. But God doesn't want you happy living in sin. God wants you happy enjoying life and doing it his way, right? Why? Because you're happy and you're safe. But if you're in sin and you're happy, you're unsafe and you're in danger, Right? So, so it's something, the perspective of the sheep may be that they're having the time of their life and they don't need no shepherd coming around telling them what to do. And I, I'm, I am just fine, like, like all, all is well, right? That may be their perspective, but that doesn't mean it's the truth, right? And then you have the perspective of the 99 sheep. Let's dig into that for a minute. So within the 99 sheep are leader sheep, right, or under shepherds. Uh, under shepherds or leadership are pastors, prophets, apostles, teachers, evangelists, the fivefold ministry. So within the 99 that Jesus is talking about, uh, we're a part of Jesus' flock, right? So as under sheep or under shepherds or leadership, uh, we're part of the 99. We're a part of that. So when Jesus is talking about the 99, he's also talking about those of us who are in ministry, right? And, and, and in this, you have the designations of elders, Designations of deacons too, right? But within the 99, we are all his sheep. Each and every one of us. 
Now listen, as a pastor, I've used the phrasing, and we use the phrasing, and it's biblical, and there's biblical references to the pastor being the shepherd of his flock, right? But it's not totally and, and really uh, our flock, right? It's just phrasing that we use, but it's really Jesus' flock. And he just asked us to care for it. He asked us to take care of it. Right, so, so within this room right now, there's a lot of people who are ministers. Right? Can I tell you today that you're all supposed to be ministers? That you're all, if you're walking with Jesus, supposed to be ministering in the gospel? That once you receive Christ, you're all supposed to be uh, evangelists? <laughs> you're all supposed to be telling uh, what Jesus did in your life and telling people how they can find the Lord? Right? We're all supposed to be uh, doing that. So we use this phrasing, but really we are leadership. John 21, 15 through 17 says this. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, uh, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him again, then feed my sheep. Right? Jesus said, feed, take care of my lambs, my sheep. Right? So they belong to the Lord. Do you know today that uh, out in the world you have some under-shepherds or leadership who are leading wrong? You have some under-shepherds or leadership who are seeking control rather than growth in people's lives? And listen, if you're here and, and you're, maybe you're here on vacation, you live in Alaska, wherever you live. But if you go in, and get involved in a congregation where the leadership of that congregation seeks to control you, get out. Right? They're, they're seeking control because you, you can have growth or you can have control, but you can't have both. And if somebody is controlling you, you're not growing in God. So it's important to recognize that. So what happens when a leadership gets sick and he hasn't taught the flock to listen for the shepherd themselves? And that is why you have the fivefold ministry. So you have multiple leadership. To help teach the flock to hear, for the hear the shepherd's voice and receive it for themselves. That it doesn't just come from one man, one person, one personality, right? But it comes from God. Here's, a, here's an article I found in BBC. On, on July 8th in 2005 in Turkey, a village of shepherds watched in horror as one rogue leadership led over 400 sheep off a cliff right in front of their eyes. People who depended on these sheep for their, for, their, for their livelihood, for their family survival, right? Watched as the leadership within the flock led 400 sheep off a cliff and they couldn't do anything about it. And the shepherds cried out with their voice, but the sheep, rather than listening to the voice of the shepherd, followed the leader sheep right off a cliff to their death, right? This is a true story. It's something that happened in, in Turkey and, and the sheep were all killed, and there was 20 families that were a family of shepherds. There was 20 families who collectively lost 84,000 84, American dollars in sheep that day 
causing great despair and financial difficulty because one leader sheep led the other sheep off a cliff. Can I tell you it's so important who you listen to the voice of? It's so important who you, who you uh, allow to have influence in your life and speak over your life. It's so important. It's so important to make sure that who's speaking into your life is hearing the voice of God. I uh, just recently, and, and I know I'm getting a little late, and, and if you guys will just bear with me on time just a little bit. Um, just recently, I had an, a situation with a neighbor. And it was a neighbor who, uh, a family that lives across the street from us, and they may be watching. It's okay if they're watching. I don't, I don't care. I'm good. But they live across the street from me, and for years they've attended another church in Inverness. So for years that I've been their neighbor, I've never once tried to disciple them. I've never once tried to speak into their life. I never once tried to give them biblical influence. Uh, for the last 10 years being a pastor, I still didn't do it because I, did, I didn't do it out of respect for the pastor of the church they were attending. Now here's what happened. He knocked on my door the other day for a ride. I gave him a ride, and he is quoting scripture left and right. I'm like, come on, man. Like, what are you, what is this? What's going on? Something's different about you. And he said, yeah, we, we left our church. And I said, really? I said, man, you guys have been there for forever. What do you mean you left the church? And he said, well, they didn't really care about us. Like, there was no discipleship. When we were in trouble, they, they, they avoided us. They just didn't really care about us. But suddenly, these Jehovah Witnesses showed up at our house. And started speaking into our lives. And you know what? They cared about the trouble we were in. And they cared about what my wife was going through. And they came and took the time out of their life and spent time discipling my wife and me in the word. And my stomach dropped. Because in case you didn't know, Jehovah Witnesses is a cult. And Jehovah Witnesses believe some things that are totally unbiblical. They believe some things about Christ and the cross and things that are satanic. It's, it's a cult. And my stomach dropped. And inside I thought, my Lord, for years, out of, out of politeness to another pastor in town, I passed over opportunities to possibly feed and, and disciple and be in the word with a neighbor across my street. And now they've fallen into this. And now, do you, guess, guess what happens? Now I'm, I'm backpedaling. Right now I'm fighting against the stream because they've already been pulled in. So rather than me having the kind of relationship with him where he could have came to me and said, hey, you know, Pastor Steve, man, these people are talking to us and I just want to know, you know, what's going on? What's, what, what are they about? Rather than us having that kind of relationship where I could speak into his life before that happened, um, now I'm trying to fight against it after it's already happened. And you know how hard that is? Super difficult. I did my best in the car that day, but I didn't get anywhere. I didn't gain any ground. You know why I didn't gain any ground? Because evangelical churches like mine and like the church they were attending didn't care about them, but somebody else came in and, and did. That's a hard pill to swallow. So why, listen, in the, in the coming year in the business meeting, we're going to announce this, but Pastor Eddie has now come on staff full time with us as of this week. Right, so we now have a second pastor on staff full-time. And listen, we, we spent a lot of money on this building last year. 
get in the building together, doing the things that we need to do. Matter of fact, one of the last things I did for December was order a new air conditioning unit for that balcony on the left, right? So, so we've, we've spent a lot of money on the building. But the Lord clearly spoke to me that in the new year, I needed to redirect and redirect and focus on staff so that we could outreach to the community. Because people are hurting. People are dying without Christ. And, and Pastor Eddie is going to, as a full-time pastor of this church, going to pick up some of that slack. So that's just, I, I'm telling you, church, that's just one move of many that the Lord has in mind for this church. That's just the next rung in the ladder and the next step of what God has for us. But we're, we're moving in a direction that, that we can do this. So, so although these shepherds called out to the sheep, the sheep didn't heed the voice of the shepherd, but followed the voice of the leader right off the cliff to their death. John 10, 27 says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We've got to make sure that we're able to determine and discern when the voice of the shepherd doesn't line up with the voice of the under shepherd that we're sitting under. Or doesn't line up with the voice of somebody that we're following online. Or a book we're reading. Or somebody we follow on social media. Or somebody uh, that we allow to speak into our lives and have influence. We've got to make sure that we uh, have enough discernment through the power of the Holy Spirit to understand that what we're reading or listening to or watching when it doesn't line up with the gospel. We need to make sure, amen? We need to do that. So, so even more so as the 99, we have to continually check our hearts to see if our hearts are lined up with the perspective of the shepherd. So what's a litmus test that we can take as the 99 sheep in this story? How does your heart feel when you've just learned that somebody that didn't know Jesus died? Do you shrug your shoulders? Or does it bring a tear to your eye? What's the heart of the shepherd? How do you feel when somebody that you know in your neighborhood or in your vicinity is in danger, spiritually or otherwise? Does it pull something out of you to desire to go after them, to bring them back? How do you feel when you don't see somebody that you saw for a year sit in this church and all of a sudden you stop seeing them and you haven't seen them in a few months? Do you shrug your shoulders and go, eh? Or do you have a desire in your heart to find them and bring them back? Right? It's, it's something that, that we have to do. It's a litmus test for our heart to make sure our heart is lined up with the heart of Jesus. So the number one issue that we have in America when it comes to this today. It's not atheism. It's not liberalism. It's not even cults. It's not persecution from politicians on the left or the mainstream media. Although all of that is destructive to the church. All of that is destructive, but that's not the number one issue that we face today. The number one issue that we have today and must fight within our body of 99 is apathy. Jess and I taught in marriage that uh, when people came into my office and said, well, Pastor Steve, I just, I hate him. I hate him. And I'd say, good. And they go, good? I just told you I hate him. And I'd say, there's a thin line between love and hate. Love is at 12 o'clock, hate's about 1.30. Apathy is the complete opposite of love. So if we're apathetic towards people who need to hear the gospel, we're apathetic towards people who are dying and going to hell, 
That's the opposite of love. Right? So we need to grab a hold of the shepherd's heart, take the litmus test for ourselves. And if your heart's, listen, if your heart's dry and your heart's cold right now, it doesn't have to stay that way. And in everybody's Christian walk, you go through seasons where your heart gets a little hard. You go through seasons where your heart gets a little dry, a little cold. But it's up to you to begin to commune with the Father. Begin to pray and seek and ask the Holy Spirit to begin to soften your heart and move you in the area that you need to be. We need to start listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit again. Amen. So, so somebody in the 99 found category, at the bare minimum, needs to start praying for the one who's lost. We need to start praying and believing. So next you have the perspective of the friends and the neighbors. Verse 6, he calls them together as friends and neighbors, and they rejoice for the lost sheep that was found. To celebrate a salvation, celebrate a baptism, celebrate when we as a church do something directed towards the lost instead of just focusing on the found. To go, you know, that's an outreach, and it may not benefit me, but man, it's going to bring some lost people into the fold. Right? And we begin to focus on, on things that don't just benefit us, but benefit the kingdom. Amen? So the Pharisees in the Bible represent religion. Religion is saying, you bad sheep, you better get yourself out of this mess. You bad sheep. <laughs> I know, that was a, that was a dad joke. <laughs> bad sheep, make your, make your way back to that gate. I better see you in that gate. Right? That's, that's the heart of the Pharisees. That's the heart of religion. When the heart of the Savior is this, I'll go look for you. I'll find you. Come help me, Pastor Brad. I'll carry you back home. I'll clean you up. I'll heal you from whatever was making you sick. And that is the heart of the shepherd. When Kennedy was lost, I couldn't focus on anything else. When she was lost, my primary driving force of my heart was finding my daughter. The primary driving force. I couldn't focus on anything else. I wasn't focusing on Dylan in the house, making sure that she too didn't wander off and get lost. I wasn't focusing on Colin in the house in the swing, making sure that he didn't crawl out of the swing and bump his head. I wasn't focusing on my wife, thinking that she was going to wander off and get lost. My sole focus in that moment was finding my daughter. And can I tell you today that that is the heart of the Father. Would you take your communion cups today? In the communion cup, you'll find bread underneath the clear cover at the top and then the juice is under the foil and if you need help taking communion today maybe you can't open these things and if that's the case just if somebody is not with you that can open it just lift a hand and somebody will come help you out I just want to say what better thing today to do to start a new year than to realign our mission, realign our focus, 
and then recognize what Jesus did on the cross for us so that we can move into the new year prepared and ready to do whatever he asks us to do. So I'd like to ask everybody in the house, if you would just close your eyes, or do it, do it after you've got a good grip on your cup. <laughs> Don't close your eyes and spill it on your lap or anything. But if everybody in the room has their eyes closed, this is, the Bible talks about communion, but it talks about, it also talks about warns or warns against taking communion in an unpure manner. And that just simply means taking communion when you're not right with Christ. This is the awesome thing, though, is you can get right with Christ in the five seconds from now till when we take communion. So if there's anybody in the house today who needs to get right with Jesus, maybe you've wandered away from him, haven't spent as much time with him, haven't been listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you shut down the voice of the Holy Spirit, or maybe you've just never given your life to Christ, but you're in this room, you say, right now, I want to make that decision to line back up with the Holy Spirit, line back up with Christ, or line up with Him for the first time. And if that's you in this place and you would like to do that, I'm just going to ask you to lift a hand. Just raise it, raise it straight up, and then you can put it right back down. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Would you just pray this simple prayer with me, those of you that raised your hand, but... I'm going to ask everybody in the room to say it with them. Lord, I want to be right with you. Forgive me of my sins. Let me hear your voice. Teach me to be obedient. Thank you for what you did on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take the bread in your hand? I'm going to pray over the bread, and then we can take the bread. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you did on the cross. You did that, Lord, so that we could have new life, so that we could have eternal life. You rescued us from a life of sin. You rescued, you came and found us. You kicked down every door. You, you came and found us, Lord, and, and rescued us and picked us up in our broken states and made us whole. I pray today, uh, Lord, that as we take this bread, that each and every one of us would recognize and, and realize what you did for us so that we can focus on you and we can say in the midst of no matter what happens in our life, that you are good, that you are our Savior. And if you never did anything else for us, Lord, that we thank you for the eternal life that you supplied us on that cross. as we take the cup in our hand we know that it represents your blood Lord every drop of blood that you spilled was for us every drop of blood that you spilled Lord was so powerful Lord one single drop of your blood uh, could, could save us from an eternity in hell and usher us into an eternity of life and you willingly sacrificed yourself as the sacrificial lamb on that cross. You took on our sins. You bore the sins of the world. And Lord, today as we take this, we, we do it in remembrance of what you did. But we do it in gratefulness. Deep, deep gratefulness of what you did in our life. In the mighty name of Jesus.
Church, would you stand with me this morning as we as we dismiss? When you get your hands free, would you just give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. so good. Amen. So listen, we're coming into our first week of 2021, and I want to challenge you as we leave here today to find something that you can do this week to increase the kingdom. Begin to pray daily. Ask the Lord to, sh- to open your eyes and just show you something that you can do this week to impact somebody's life. A, a phone call that you can make, a- an instant message message that you can send, a text that you can send. Uh, but listen, because I'm about uh, accountability, if you are married and you're texting somebody of the opposite sex, include your spouse in that text. Do a group text with your spouse, okay? I don't want y'all coming back in here with a whole bunch of marriage problems next week. All right? So do that. Do that together. Put, put everybody together in the group text and send out and just check on somebody this week. Make a phone call. Uh, stop by and knock on a door, you know, and just see, see how somebody's doing. And then uh, begin to pray for the Lord to direct you this week to give you what he wants for you to do for the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Listen, Jessica and I are heading out uh, right now for vacation. Um, We're we're heading up to North Georgia. We're going to utilize the cabin that our staff got us for pastor appreciation. So we were supposed to go to West Virginia to visit my mom who's watching this morning. But... uh, my brother-in-law has had some complications with cancer. My mom uh, is dealing with some stuff, and their region is very uh, contagious right now. So my sister called and said, look, I just please, can you just hold off for a few months? And I said, yeah, we'll, we'll hold off for a few months. And we were already off work, so Jessica and I are going to take that much-needed vacation because it's been, it's been a long year. Amen. So thank you so much. But I said that to say this. I'm not responding to emails, texts, or calls this week. I'm taking a break. But listen, I am leaving you in very, very good hands. Pastor Eddie will be running the church, running the office. He'll be on staff full-time this week. And if you need uh, all 100 counseling appointments, call Pastor Eddie. No, I'm just kidding. But if you need anything ministerial in in nature, please contact Pastor Eddie this week. Uh, If you need anything office-related, Kennedy and Diane will both be in the office. All right. So let me pray a prayer of dismissal and a prayer over you for the new year. Would you just hold a, a hand up to the Lord this morning? Father, we love you. We're so grateful to be standing here in this new season and this new year. Lord, we just pray that you would have your way. Lord, move in our hearts and minds. I pray, Father, for your, for, I pray as a pastor over, over this church, Father, that your blessings would fall like rain on everybody in, in the, everybody in attendance and the households that are related to the, everybody in attendance today and everybody watching online, Father, that your blessings would just fall like rain in this new year. We receive it. Father, we thank you as we line up and get in your will, Father, that you're going to do um, amazing, creative things with this church in the coming year. And, Father, we just give you all praise and all glory for bringing us out of a very difficult season. And, Father, as we turn this corner, we trust you. We're in your hands, and we know that you are sovereign, but we also know that you are good. And we love you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said.